here's Johnny. (laughs) You know, I should have just kind of come out of that curtain there and just kind of... Hey, uh, so good to be here. Thank you for being with us. This is uh, July uh, 2nd. Uh, We will be celebrating. Hey, happy 4th of July to all of you. We celebrate, absolutely. We will celebrate on Tuesday, uh, the birthday of our our nation. It took place on July 4th, 1776, 247 years ago. My, uh, that is a long time. Uh, It was during that time that our forefathers uh, got together and they signed that Declaration of Independence. A year before that, though, uh, they made General George Washington Commander-in-Chief of the Continental Army. They said, okay, we're going to put you now in charge. And he has been considered probably one of the greatest leaders of our nations. Let me just share a little bit about uh, George Washington and his leadership as we start this message today on this uh, July 2nd. There's so much more than just the folklore. You know, we we all heard about him chopping down the cherry tree or throwing the silver dollar across the Potomac. Uh, It's so much more than that. General Washington spent eight eight very hard and difficult years uh, leading the, a small army through some very risky maneuvers, um, like the crossing of the Delaware River on Christmas night. And he endured hardships like uh, the winters of, of Valley Forge. Ultimately, though, he had the triumph of, at Yorktown, and they uh, saw the surrender of England. But I'll tell you, I, be, I believe that the biggest test to George Washington came in 1776 and in 1777 when Congress was being forced to abandon Philadelphia uh, because the, the advancing British troops were coming in And General Washington was granted virtually unlimited powers, unlike anything in his day. As a matter of fact, it's it's only, they grant him so much powers, it rivals that of the Roman dictators of of their day. He, though, uh, shouldered the responsibility and then gave the authority back as soon as possible. He had everything and he gave it back. Washington's moral character, his leadership, transformed this underfunded militia into a capable force that outwitted and and defeated the British army, which at that time was the mightiest military power in the world. Thomas Jefferson said this of Washington. He was indeed, in every sense of of the word, a wise, a good, and a great man. Well, after the war, some suggested that Washington should become king over America, and he immediately rejected the offer and demanded that the topic should never be raised again. Washington, however, reluctantly accepted the presidency of the United States. And again, Thomas Jefferson said to George Washington, we cannot, sir, do without you. 
None of the other founding farmer, uh, fathers, despite all their brilliance, could command the respect and the trust that George Washington did. And Washington became the first and actually the only president of the United States to receive a unanimous vote from the Electoral College. No one since then uh, has done so. Well, he served for two terms from 1789 to 1797. And when he stepped down after his second term as president, a dumbfounded King George III of England said of him, he is the greatest character of the age. So this week, July 4th, we celebrate the birth of our, of our nation. And it happened because of great leadership of men like George Washington. I want to just begin by praying for our nation and praying for our leaders today. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you. I thank you for being with us today. And God, thank you that our nation's able to celebrate 247 years as a free nation. And God, we thank you for the, the leaders like George Washington who sacrificed so much to see that happen. And Father, I thank you for our great nation and I pray that you will continue to be with us, continue to be with our leaders. Confi uh, Father, continue just to, to help us to be totally yours. Father, be with me as I preach my message today. Be with me as I preach. Give me clarity and give me boldness to preach your truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, I, I want to run something by you. Yeah, what's up? So I've been doing this deep dive. Hey, John, I heard you were preaching on Herod. Which Herod exactly? Is it Herod Archelaus, who caused Joseph to go to Nazareth rather than Bethlehem? Is it Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist? Is it Herod Philip, who ruled the area north and east of Galilee? Is it Herod Agrippa I, who was eaten by worms? Is it Herod Agrippa II, who oversaw the trial of Paul? Don't tell me that it's Herod the Great. Which Herod? Yes. Oh my, oh my, oh my. Uh, uh, yes. We are doing a series of sermons this summer called Jerks of the Bible. Jerks of the Bible. We've looked at Jezebel. We looked at Lot. We looked at Samson. Last week we looked at Judas. And today... We continue by looking at a man who, in my opinion, is the exact opposite of George Washington. His name is King Herod the Great. King Herod the Great. And as that video expressed, there's a lot of Herods in the New Testament. There's a lot of different Herods. These are all his uh, family members uh, uh, that lived after him. 
But we are going to look at the Herod that got it all started. Herod the Great, King Herod the Great. That's who is our jerk today. Let me give you some things about King Herod. Let's talk about Herod's family and his rise to power. Herod's family and his, uh, his family of origin, where he came from, his family of origin. To understand Herod, uh, we got to start out by talking about his dad, okay? Herod's dad. His dad's name was, he was known as Antipater. Antipater the Edomite. Antipater the Edomite. That was, that was Herod's dad. Antipater the Edomite. Now, he was an Edomite. What does that mean? Remember the famous twins in, in, the, in the Bible, Jacob and Esau? They were uh, the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah, the grandsons of Abraham and Sarah. Uh, Jacob and Esau. Uh, Jacob had his, uh, God changed his name to Israel. He had 12 sons, and that gave us the Israelites. So Jacob's family became the Israelites. Esau became, his family became the Edomites. So you have the Israelites and the Edomites. Herod's dad, Antipater, was an Edomite. He was from the family of, of Esau. Now, what's interesting is uh, Antipater's dad was an Edomite, but his mom was an Israelite. So Antipater's mom and dad actually brought Jacob and Esau back together again. So Antipater actually raised his family as an Israelite, as a Jew, because his mom was, you know, from that family. He, he, uh, he raised Herod as a Jew, and throughout Herod's life, he claimed it publicly. I'm a Jew, I'm an Israelite. But his lifestyle did not match what he claimed. We're going to talk about that later in my message. So Antipater... He had friends in high places. Matter of fact, he was Antipater, Herod's dad, was friends with Julius Caesar, the, the emperor of Rome. Antipater was friends with Julius Caesar who entrusted Antipater with the public affairs of Judea. Okay, Antipater, you're in charge of all the things that happen in the public affairs. And Antipater's sons became governors in 47 BC. That's almost 50 years before Jesus was even born. Older son, Fasiel, and young Herod, who's in his 20s, became governor of Galilee. So they became governors when they were just young men. It was short-lived though. It was short-lived by 40 BC. Arch enemy, Antigonus. Doesn't that sound like an enemy's name? Antigonus. Arch enemy Antigonus forced Herod and his brother out of leadership in Judea and Herod fled to Rome. He got to Rome. He pled his case to the Roman Senate and to everyone's surprise, they declared him king of the Jews. They said, okay. You got it. You are now king of Judea. You are the king of the Jews. So he gathered up a, a large army. 
in 37 BC, went back to Jerusalem and took it over. Had the battles and took it over. And then arch enemy Antigonus, he then sent back to Mark Anthony to be executed. He now, Herod, as of this point, is now king over Israel. He is the king of the Jews. He's the king of the Jews. And he ruled with an iron fist because nobody, nobody was going to take away his, his kingship anymore. He became known for his tyranny and his brutality. And I tell you, the Jews hated him, which caused him to be extremely paranoid and insecure. Matter of fact, he had secret police out and among the people just so that they could report back to him their feelings of him. And he had a bodyguard, not of like five or 10 soldiers. He had a bodyguard of 2,000 soldiers protecting him at all times. And Herod taxed the people like crazy. He had heavy taxes on the people, uh, which added to his unpopularity. But he needed that money to pay for all the massive building projects that he's known for. Matter of fact, let's talk about his massive building projects. By the way, in 2014, 24 of us from Venture, 24 of us from this church went to the Holy Land together. Um, here's a picture of us. We're on the um, Mount of Olives overlooking. You can see the downtown Jerusalem there. You can see the Dome of the Rock in the background. Uh, that's the group that went there in 2014. Um, my twin brother, Ron, and I led that group. You can see we're like bookends right there. You can see, a, I don't know if you can tell which one's which. I have trouble in every now and then. But in any case, we did that. Uh, and Mark Zeis was, uh, was in that uh, trip with us. By the way, someone who's pictured up there said to me last service, you know what, I'm still wearing that same shirt today that was in the picture. But in any case... <laughs> That was nine and a half years ago that we did that. It was a great trip. And while we were there, we looked at some of the massive building projects that Herod did. Some massive building projects that are still evident today. Uh, for example, Herod built Masada. He built Masada and other locations where he and his family could take refuge in case of insurrection. You know, in case of attack, he had these places that they could escape to. Uh, Masada was on top of this huge hill that had a flat top. And he built uh, this, this community up there so that he and his family could survive for a very long time in case of, of attack. Here's a picture of what Masada might have looked like in his day. And this is what Masada looks like today. There, we were up on that hill looking around. It was amazing. Now, trying to get on the good side of the Jews, he was master of manipulation, trying to get on the good side of the Jews. He rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. He expanded its base, known as the Temple Mount. That the, the, the temple is no longer there. It was destroyed in 70 AD, but the temple, the temple Mount, the base is still there. It is still there. Now it has the Dome of the Rock set in there. But this is what uh, it might have looked like 
back in the days of Jesus, Herod's temple that he was built. This is a model actually about the size of this worship area of, of ancient Jerusalem. And in this model, they have the, uh, the temple uh, that shows uh, that he built. So he did that to stay on the good side of the Jews. Well, obviously, he's going to have to do something else for the Romans. So he actually built a temple to, Ju uh, to um, not uh, Julius, but to Caesar Augustus. Built a temple for Caesar Augustus. And then built pagan cities with Roman values. He built the city of Caesarea Maritime. It's uh, right on the Mediterranean Sea. When we were there, it actually, this is what it might have looked like in the days of Herod. But when we were there, it actually felt like a little Rome. And this is what it looks like today. We were able to go into like that amphitheater in different places and say, wow, this is what Herod built. This is his stuff. He was, he built massive, massively in, uh, in Israel. Well, Herod the Great, King Herod the Great, he is found in our New Testaments. Herod in the Bible. It should not surprise us that the story of King Herod does show up in the Bible. He's actually, his story we celebrate every year at Christmas time. He's part of the Christmas story. He's part of the Christmas story. Today's July 2nd. It's the, we're in July. Christmas in July. Here we go. Christmas in July. Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1, 2, and 3, it says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod. There he is. That's our guy, Herod the Great. Magi, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. <laughs> when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. You know, the, the wise men, the magi, they, they, they saw this star and they said, oh my, let's follow. And, and it led them to Israel, to Judea. And they went to Jerusalem and said, hey, where, where do we find this king of the Jews that was born? And word got back to Herod and my, it's an understatement to say he was disturbed. It was a big issue. And he said, bring them in here. Get those wise, wise guys in here. Bring in those magi. And he had audience with them. And he said, hey, guys, find out where this king is, this little baby king, because I want to go worship him too. And that was a big lie. Well, the, the magi realized what he was doing. And they did not report back to King Herod. And when he, when he realized that they did not come back, he put plan B into action. Chapter 2, verse 16, when Herod realized that, that, they, that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Wow, that is disturbing. Now, if you think this Bible story is just a little bit ridiculous, a little bit outrageous, let me share you, with you the history, what history says about Herod. Herod was so paranoid about losing power that he murdered Everyone 
who even had opportunity to betray him. Not just those that, that were leaning that way, but if you have opportunity to betray me, I'm getting rid of you. And that included his own mother, one of his wives, he had 10, but his wife Alexandria, and her mother, and three of his sons. As a matter of fact, legend has it that Caesar Augustus reportedly said, it is better to be Herod's dog than one of his children. That's Herod the Great. So you can only imagine what Herod thought when he heard that the king of the Jews has been born. So what do we learn? What do we learn from Herod? What, what things do we learn not to do um, besides don't kill your mother-in-law, okay? Okay, that didn't go very well in the first service either. Okay, I have some three basic principles. Some three basic principles uh, that I want to share with you that we learn not to do what King Herod did, but things that the Bible confirms that we should do. Let me give you number one. Practice what you preach. Practice what you preach. And matter, uh, as I mentioned before, Herod claimed to be a Jew. He claimed to be a follower of God. He claimed that publicly his whole life. But he did not live it. He did not live it. Jesus was speaking to his followers about the Jewish leaders when he told them to practice what they preach. He said, look at, uh, here in, Ma in Matthew 23, verses 1, 2, and 3. says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. You know, they're preaching the Bible. They're teaching you what the Bible says. You listen to what they teach. But then he says this word, these words, but do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. Okay. Listen to me, folks. If you live one way on Sundays in a different way the rest of the week, you're setting yourself up for ultimate failure. As parents, be careful that you do not frustrate your kids by having different standards for them. Let me give you an example. If words are not appropriate for your kids to use, then you don't use them either. The same at work. You would deteriorate your influence, your leadership abilities if, if you have double standards. For example, don't ask someone to do something that you yourself are not willing to do. Practice what you preach. Number two, write this down if you're keeping notes. Serve others. Serve others. You... This has been a fascinating subject for me to just study King Herod because I'm learning so much about him that I never knew. Herod was declared king by the Roman Senate. They said, you are now the king of the Jews. But he really wanted to be known as Herod the Great. He wanted to be a great leader and he, that was a self-imposed title for himself. I am Herod the Great. 
Herod the Great. And he thought the way to do that is to get everybody serving him. And he demanded luxury. Uh, in Israel, we, we saw when we were there uh, in 2014, we saw some of the, uh, the, the extravagant lifestyle that, that he lived. He had, he had nice heated baths. He had steam rooms. Uh, it, it was incredible some of the things that, that he was able to come up with. Well, Jesus taught sacrificial leadership. Jesus taught that if you want to be the greatest, then you be the servant. It almost seems like Jesus was thinking about Herod when he said these words in Mark chapter 10, verses 42 and following. It says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them then Jesus said this not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Folks, if you want to make a positive impact in this world, it's not, it's not how many people serve you, but it's how many people you are serving. Let me just talk here for just a moment. I, um, when I think about my parents and my grandparents and their generations, my parents and grandparents' generations, man, they sacrificed a lot. They, they sacrificed a lot serving others. Then I think about my generation that I'm part of. Do you know what I'm part of? I'm part of the baby boomers. Oh, my. <laughs> my parents and grandparents, they were very sacrificial in serving others. On the other hand, generally speaking, not all baby boomers, but generally speaking, it seems like us, uh, my generation are much more self-serving. But I see hope for many of you in the younger generations. Because some of you say, you know, I don't want to be like that. You seem to have learned the lesson of Herod. I just want to encourage you. I, I actually, I want to just encourage all of us Every single person who hears this message, I want to encourage you to remember the words that Jesus said there in the Gospel of Mark. If you want to be first, be slave of all. Serve others. Let me give you a third thing. Write this down. Res earn respect. Earn respect. You know, e leadership is positive influence. And it's, it's earned... It's earned respect by being a man of your word, you know, being trustworthy, not bullying others through force or threats or manipulation. Josephus, the great historian uh, who shared a lot about Herod, he lived in those days, wrote this about Herod when Herod neared the end of his life. <laughs> he was so concerned that no one would mourn his death 
he thought for sure that people were not going to mourn, but there probably would be a celebration when he died. He was so concerned that people would not mourn his death that he commanded a large group of distinguished men be brought to Jericho. That's where he was living at that time. These men were brought to Jericho, distinguished men. And he gave an order that they should be killed at the time of his death so that displays of grief would take place there in Israel. This guy is warped. That's why he's one of our jerks of the, uh, jerks of the Bible. Fortunately, his sister, who was the one to, his sister and brother-in-law, who were the ones to carry out that order, refused to do so. Listen to me. If you want to be successful at influencing others, if you want to make an impact, whether it's with your family or with your friends or with others, then you do it by earned respect. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1 give us what uh, the church sometimes refers to as the qualifications of our church leaders, the elders and deacons. And it says that those who desire to, to have that respect, to be above reproach, to be blameless, to be trustworthy, to be honest. If you want others, listen, if you want others to mourn your death, don't go Herod's route. If you want others to mourn your death, then care more about what God thinks than forcing your will and your desires on others. Step up to serve God and serve others. Strive to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant, Matthew 25. Now I know maybe some of you are thinking, well, John, it's too late. It's too late. I've already done some pretty selfish things in my life. I've acted a little bit like King Herod. It's not too late, folks. It's not too late. Look at Saul of Tarsus. At one time, he was hated and feared almost as much as King Herod. Saul of Tarsus, he was executing Christians. His goal was to wipe out the church. Acts chapter 9 tells us, though, that Jesus got hold of him. And Saul of Tarsus spent the rest of his life a changed man. And we know him today as the Apostle Paul. Wow. Second Timothy is believed to be the Apostle Paul's last letter found in the New Testament. He wrote, he wrote many of the New Testament letters. Second Timothy, boy, when you think about this being his last words, it makes you read that book. It's only, what, just four chapters long. It makes you read it in a whole new light. Second Timothy, his very last words, he's in prison, been in prison a number of times throughout his evangelism, reaching people for Jesus. He's in prison. This is his last time in prison. Many have abandoned him. He writes this letter to Timothy. And he says, come see me. <laughs> Timothy, 
come see me. And then he says, and bring my coat. And if possible, come before winter. I'll tell you, this is, it's a heart-wrenching letter. Come see me. But most important, Paul knew that the Lord was pleased with him. And Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter four, 2 Timothy chapter four, verse seven. But I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Those words need to be on every one of our lips. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you for today. And God, may we be able to all say those words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In Jesus' name, amen.